Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 as we continue a study on the Sermon uh, on the Mount. It was named by that much after the fact, I believe by Augustine or some theologian of that time. Uh, it was called that because he preached to his disciples up on a mountain. Matthew chapter 6, it uh, is absolutely the most fantastic sermon ever preached. It covered every area of life. Now, let's talk about this because we're going to go into some great, great verses tonight. A child lives a very simple life. They are free from anxiety because they're, they're ignorant of the complexities of life. They just are. They don't understand how complex life can become. And so they're blissfully ignorant of the difficulties that life presents. Therefore, they have a carefree spirit. They're not worried about the bills getting paid or, or you know, stuff that has to be done in life, just the everyday pressures of life. They, 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 they are, well, carefree. But as life comes upon us as human beings, it tends to become complex and difficult. Challenges are met at every stage of life, and we've got to deal with those challenges. We have to deal with that somehow. Everybody deals with it differently. Um, some folks appear as though things don't bother them, and inside they're a ticking time bomb of a heart attack waiting to happen. Others just, uh, well, everybody just handles it differently, but one of the common ways to handle it is a thing called anxiety. That's a fancy word for worrying. Now, some people are natural worriers. They're worrying if they don't have something to worry about. They embrace the whole experience as something, I suppose, pleasurable. But Jesus is going to teach us tonight that worry and anxiety about life has no place for the Christian, none at all. Anxiety, being anxious for the future of what may happen or has happened or how to deal with those things, is, is sin. If you can think of it in terms of infidelity, uh, I think that kind of draws the picture. We have been married to Christ, those of us who know Christ and He lives in our hearts, and to worry about anything is a form of infidelity. It's to take upon us that which was never meant to come upon us. So, with that in mind, look at chapter 6, uh, go down to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, and this is Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about your life. Now, the old King James, let me make a point here. The old King James, which I do dearly still love, says, take no thought. Uh, when it says take, let me tell you why I've kind of switched toward the ESV, and I actually have switched to the English Standard Version in teaching and preaching. And I see over and over again reasons for doing that, and this is a, a point in case, a case in point. Um, when it says take no thought, it doesn't mean don't think about life. That language was taken out of 1611 Shakespearean language. 
when Shakespeare used that term in England in his literature, to take thought meant to be anxious or to worry. So the translators at that time borrowed a Shakespearean term, take no thought. So the idea could possibly be in your mind, well, don't think about life. Just let life happen. That's not the idea here at all. It literally means stop worrying. Don't be anxious about life. So the ESV has correctly interpreted the, the English phrase for our idea of it today. You'll see another case later on in the text. But literally, Jesus said, stop worrying. Don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he asks the question, is not life more or greater than food? He has an argument from the greater to the lesser. And the greater is life itself. The lesser is food, raiment. Now I want you to think about that with me for a moment. Where did we receive life from? The hand of God himself. First as the creator, and then in salvation as our father. You had no business in starting your life. He started it for you. He gave you life. He gave us the gift of life. And every day we wake up as a gift from God in the life that He's given. That's the big deal. That's the great thing. It says in verse 25, Is not life more than food? Now, Reasoning-wise, we said, of course, but focus on life itself. We tend to be obsessed with these things, either oppressed or obsessed with the idea of food, clothing, how we're going to get around. And watch this. Life was not meant for these things. Life was meant for life itself from God. And the idea here in Jesus' teaching is when you're focused on food and drink, and clothing, you've taken your mind and thoughts off of life itself, off of God himself. That's the problem with it. We're so tunnel visioned on getting our needs met that we've forgotten about the gift of life itself. So life is more than just the food that you put in your body. It's the greater of the two. And by focusing on the food, we've taken our eyes off life itself. Now, this sermon and this section is not a psychological reasoning kind of mentality where you, okay, I see that and therefore I'm going to focus on life. Remember, the entire sermon is based in the life of Jesus inside the believer. It's concentrating on that life that's in us, and that's the essential thing. Uh, Oswald Chambers was, was very fond of the phrase, be carefully careless about everything in life except your relationship with God. Be carefully careless about everything except the concentration that we have about the life that's in us. Concentrating on that 
is what life is all about, not food. So, the life that he's given is greater than the food we put in our bodies. Therefore, take your mind off your next meal and on the life that he's given you. Okay? So let's go on. In the, in, in, in the sermon, he said, Is not life more than food and the body more than the clothing that's put on it? And then he says, look up. Look at the birds of the air. There's nothing more common than a bird. We see them fly by all the time. The illustrations that Jesus always used were from nature and from the common things that everyone else overlooks. Look at the birds. And in looking at the birds in verse 26, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, if there are by the way, this is one of the favorite verses of hobos and tramps and those who, you know, want to stand along the highway and ask for your change and not actually work. These verses are not saying don't work. You look at the whole of Scripture, it talks about work and labor. In fact, there was a situation in one of Paul's churches where they had stopped working, waiting for the return of the Lord. And Paul's remedy for them was, if you don't work, you don't eat. That'll put a man back to work right fast, won't it? Also, have you ever seen a bird on a limb sitting motionless with its beak up in the air? Waiting for something to drop in. They're busy little creatures. They're hard-working little creatures. They're all over the yard. They're in the branches. They're busy. Now watch this. They have an instinct. They operate according to the life that God has placed in them. No one teaches them to go after the worms and the bugs and the seeds. They know instinctively to do that. You follow in Jesus' train of thought. Look at the birds, and he says, Concentrate on on the life that I have placed in you, and instinctually you will know what the value of life is. Got it? We are to reap. We are to sow. We are to reap. We are to gather into barns. We are to work and to labor and plan for the future. The idea here is not to be obsessed with it to the point of thinking this is what life's about so I can retire at 48 and just sit back and, and, and drink a Kool-Aid at the beach for the rest of my life. Okay? So let's go on. Look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather in the barns. Notice, and yet... Your heavenly Father, notice it doesn't say their heavenly Father. He's your heavenly Father. He feeds them. Now, He is their creator, but He is our Father. Now, He is only the Father to the Christians, to the believers in Jesus Christ. He is not a father to the man who is outside of Christ. He is the man's creator, but he is not the man's father. Notice here, the heavenly father feeds them. Look with me, if you will, to verse 
26, the rest of it. He asks a question. Are you not of more value than they are? Now he goes from the lesser to the greater. I want you to think for a moment for the value of man as God has created him. We, we talk about sin and we talk about man's lost condition and his fallen state and the redemption that Christ gives. But I want you to know that man within his creation was created with great dignity and great honor. Uh, Psalm 8 says it very clearly when it talks about a list of God's creation. And then it talks about man and it says, what is man? That thou art mindful of him. Imagine the greatest of creations, you and I. Um, There have been those across the centuries who have looked at Christianity and say it just bashes man. But we hold it to the greatest, highest dignity. In fact, we believe and say and teach, just like Jesus did, that, that we're just not about food and clothes, that we were created for something higher and more dignified than just this stuff of this earth. The great dignity of the creation of man is taught, and that's why Jesus is teaching your life is more important than your food or your clothes. Look at verse 28. Well, 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now again, the ESV has changed this, or not changed this, it has translated this a single hour being a span of time. The old King James was a cubit to his height. A cubit was 18 inches. The word height in the Greek could be rendered two different ways. It is either the height of a man or the length of a man's life. It would make little sense to talk about 18 inches to his height, maybe an inch or so. It is much more natural in the flow to talk about how long your life is. And that's why it's translated it there, the span of his life. So let's look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Think about what you can change and what you can't. You know, even with the medical advances where people are kind of kept going longer than perhaps if they died a natural death, even if that's in the hands of God. No one dies until God is ready to take the life. You can't add an hour to it. Millionaires, for all their money and for all their power, can't add a second to their life. That's humbling, isn't it? You didn't start it. You can't end it. He has you. Notice what it says in verse 28. And why are you anxious about your clothes? Consider, think about the lilies of the field. Notice how they grow. How do they grow? They don't worry about how they look. They let God paint the colors of their lives. They don't worry about where they're planted. You never saw a lily in the middle of the night pulling its roots up and, and moving somewhere else. Got it? Put roots down. Wherever they're planted, they just kind of grow. And they grow according to the processes that God has placed within a lily. Do you see how organic that is? Do you see how natural that is? Jesus said, look at the flowers. 
Look how they grow. They didn't call themselves into existence. I planted them. I put them where I wanted them. I colored them with the colors that I wanted to color them. I made them what they are. I made them look what they are. You ever see a lily looking at itself in the mirror? Lilies, lilies don't care if anybody comes by and sees them. They don't worry about whether they're of use to God or not. Now concentrate and think about what he's saying when he talks about a lily in the valley and the flower. Think about your life with God. We're so tore up about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and where we're going to go and, 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 and I have, you, does my family love me and, and am I of use to my family? Uh, am, am I of value? Am I, how do people look at me and view me? And, 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 and you know, are, is, is, is my hair out of place if I've got it? And, 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 and all the stuff that we're so self-conscious about. There's a lily. Growing in the field, concentrating on nothing, watch this, but the principle of life within them. That's it. Their whole focus is being a natural life that God has created. This is the way beyond anxiety. Not a mental gymnastics of, well, you know, this, you know God's given me a life, so I'm just going to think about the gift of life. I'm a mentally gymnastics kind of stuff. It's the concentration of how God has made you. And you are of use to Him, just like you are. And you don't think about how He is using you. In fact, the most times when He's using you, you don't even know it. And if you know it, He's probably not using you. Yeah. Think about it. Look at verse 28. Consider the lilies of the valley. Notice he didn't say that they grow. Notice how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. We're big in this place about the grace of God being the antithesis of self-effort to make anything happen in the Christian life. Well, there it is. We don't toil, we don't spin, we don't bring self-effort into the field of Christian growth. We simply rest and trust and concentrate on the life that he's placed there. And we are, we even, I, I'm going to tell you, it's a blessed thing to forget all about yourself. Not to be concentrated on the self. Karen got home a little bit late, later than I wanted her to, to get home. We had a 7 o'clock movie time. I knew that leaving the house at a particular time, I knew leaving, I wasn't going to get be able to eat supper because we wouldn't have time and see the movie. So a battle began to rage within me of whether I was going to be in the flesh or in the spirit at this point. You know, you take a man's supper away, and that's not a pretty thing. And so, you know, I'm... I'm I'm struggling quietly over there. She's driving, you know, and she said, where are we going to eat? I said, well, you know, where do you want to eat? And, uh, you know, it just, it just, we pulled in this plate and nothing worked. And I said, you know, I don't have, we don't really don't have time. She said, you don't have time to eat? You'll get sick. You'll get upset. You know, you just, you know, I'm, I'm fine in the spirit. I can let this thing dominate my life. I'm bigger than my supper, you know. So I got my popcorn with butter on it. And because I hadn't ate, I got nauseated. I'm sitting there in the theater thinking, if I'd had my supper, I wouldn't be sick right now. 
you know, you get older. I mean, it's just all about where we're going to eat and where's the bathroom. That's, how, that's about it right there, yeah. My, uh, my brother and sister-in-law a couple years ago traveled down to see us, and Allison said, you know, it's been years since I traveled with Lee. Uh, the two things Lee wanted to know is where we're going to eat next and where's the next bathroom we can stop at. And old age is sitting in on my brother. These things dominate our thinking. How wonderful to skip a meal here and there and be free not to think about food. It wouldn't hurt us. Not at all. Verse 28, 29. Yet I tell you, See, now watch this. You live that kind of life where you're concentrating on the life of God within. Watch this. I tell you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't decked out like one of these little flowers in the field. Now think about that. One little flower in that field is more beautiful than all the glory of Solomon. Because God organically grew that flower to look just like he wanted it to look. There it is. Christian life in a nutshell is the life of God organically lived in and through us as we rest and simply concentrate on this life, taking our eyes off of the, the distractions, being, as Oswald Chambers said, carefully careless about everything except my relationship with God. Look at verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then he gives a little bit of bite here, O you of little faith. If, if God started your life and started my life and gave us the greatest gift we ever had by the existence of life, the ability to reason as human beings, the, ab the ability to experience beauty and joy and glory and happiness and struggle and difficulty to begin to feel loss and joy and victory and all the things we experience. If he gave you life, do you not think, do we not think that he will sustain that life by the little tiny things like food and clothes and stuff like that? That's, that's a bit of a rebuke, oh, you who don't believe me. There's the infidelity of anxiety. Oh, you of little faith. Look, all I've done in giving you life itself. You ever, you ever just stop and think about you're a human being and not a bumblebee or, or a dog or a cat? I mean, good night. You have the high, you, you're the glory of God's creation. The ability to know that you're alive and to know that you have conscious thought. The ability to think and to learn and to grow and to change. To touch other people's lives. What a gift. You know, if, look, if nothing else, nothing else, the gift of breathing. The, the gift of blood flowing through our veins. Hallelujah. If God so clothed the grass of the field, today's alive and tomorrow's thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, of you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Am I going to get my supper? What we shall we drink? What clothes have I got to put on? 
there's a second rebuke. Do you see it in verse 32? For the Gentiles. The idea in the passage is the lost man. Because you and I are Gentiles. He's not talking about us here. He's talking about those who are outside the family of faith. This is what lost people are consumed with. That's a pretty good rebuke, isn't it? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Notice, your heavenly Father, not theirs, yours, knows that you need them all. (laughs) Can you imagine Adam showing up the first day on, on the job? I mean, Adam, God breathes into Adam the breath of life. Adam stands up as a man and does this. Because God forgot to create the oxygen he had to breathe. Didn't work like that, did he? When he, when he stood as a man and God breathed into his life the breath of life, the very first time he opened his lungs, there was a supply of oxygen that God already had ready there, right there, right there. God never says, oops, I missed that one. Hey, I was at the funeral yesterday. I was thinking, I was, you know, because in my mind I'm doing a checklist of everything that needs to happen and be pulled off. And all of a sudden the thought of, I didn't check the plates and silverware. You know, and I mean, little details are very important. Fortunately, Kathy Schaefer went and, and got them. But, you know, God never runs out of silverware and, plates and he just there's nothing he goes oops forgot that and he knows everything that you need now if you don't have something that you want that's a different matter but don't we all have everything we possibly need we got it god's never verse 33 is one that we sing that's a verse you can sing It says this, but you seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his rule and reign over your life. That's what it's talking about. When it talks about the kingdom of God, it talks about the sovereign king. You seek the kingdom of God, notice, and his righteousness, not yours, his. And all these things, add it to you. It's the things you got your mind on, isn't it? It's the things we focus on, we get obsessed with. And God says, forget about all the things. Concentrate on me. 